So Jesus, we do praise you for doing what we never could have done for ourselves. And we get to be here this morning, not necessarily just in this building, but we get to be in your presence, not afraid or ashamed, but our guilt washed away by the blood of Jesus. So we remember you this morning and we thank you for what you've done. And we just ask for your help this morning as we um, look into your word that is all about revealing yourself to us. We want to see you clearly, Jesus. So we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please take a seat. And uh, this morning, first of all, got to say happy, happy Father's Day to all the dads. And um, yes, uh, and especially want to say hi, dad, to my dad. Happy Father's Day. Um, he texted me early this morning just saying he was praying for me. And so I love my dad. Uh, also, we've got a team of students uh, from our high school ministry that is on a trip in uh, Ensenada, Mexico right now. And so here's a picture of the team. Them, they flew out on Friday. So a lot of them actually helped with Camp Awesome uh, on Wednesday and Thursday and then just flew to Mexico the next day. So they are, um, so far it sounds like, the, as far as I know, things are going great. And, but we're just going to spend a little bit of time uh, praying for them specifically, um, as well as actually as I walked down this morning around 6.30, walked down here, the bus was leaving with a group from our church that's going to Israel. So we are going to pray for both of these uh, groups of our church family who are tra uh, abroad or going abroad right now. So let's pray. Uh, Father, we do just pray specifically for this group from our youth ministry. God, I know pr uh, for myself and probably for many of us, we know how transformative these um, short-term missions, opportunities, and experiences can be for our lives. And, and I know uh, just in my life how transformative that has been. Um, to get to experience uh, people in a different culture um, who are loving you and learn how to kind of get thrown into doing ministry in ways that maybe I haven't experienced before. So I just pray for all of that goodness to happen in this group. I pray for just safety and, and all the details, just smooth things um, with the details of all the stuff that goes into traveling and doing ministry abroad. But Lord, just that you would uh, be transforming uh, the hearts of these young people and for the leaders that are with them, that you would just give sweet moments of just connection and, um, and just deep conversations. We also thank you for the trip or that's headed to Israel today, just that they would have an amazing time of encountering you uh, in Israel and enjoying you. Um, so we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So, uh, you know, one thing that I talk about a lot, just because it's a huge part of my life, is I am a dad. And uh, so we've got three young kids at home, uh, a five-year-old Eden, three-year-old Seth, and almost one-year-old Kana. And one of the things you know if you spend a lot of time with kids is kids are very curious all the time. And we, uh, one of the things we do a lot is we read a lot of books. And there's a lot of things, you know, you're just reading. And 
I can't tell you how long it takes us to read a book because they're just asking about either words they haven't heard before or just details of like, why did that happen? Or why did that character do that? Or just different things like that. What does that mean? Just, you know, maybe phrases or something, um, colloquialisms that they don't know and just different things like that. And so kids ask hard questions. The other day, Seth, my three-year-old came downstairs and usually the first thing he says to me in the morning is, dad, make me breakfast. But for whatever reason, about two days ago, the first thing he said to me is, why do squirrels have tails? It's literally the first thing he said to me in the morning. Dad, why do squirrels have tails? Um, so they, they ask funny and odd and curious questions that you, just things you kind of take for granted a lot of times. Um, and, uh, and like this was, this was maybe a year ago, I was taking Eden to, to and from an appointment that we had in La Crosse. On the way back, she was singing in the back seat in her car seat. She was singing this song she had made up, and it went something like this. God will never die. God will never die. And it just went on and on like that for a while. And then she hit a, a, a new phrase. She said, God will never die. Is that true? <laughs> and then she just paused, and I was like, okay, I don't think that was rhetorical. <laughs> I just say, yes. Like, yes, that's true. God will never die. <laughs> so she got her confirmation that her worship song was theologically accurate, and then she continued. Um, and, then, uh, and then, you know, a, a little bit later added a new verse, uh, but we will die. <laughs> also accurate. So, um, but there's, there's just things like, there's things that, that, there's a lot of things we take for granted in life. And I think sometimes when we're trying to look at something with fresh eyes, we realize how complex that thing can be sometimes. And um, some things feel very easy to explain. Like if Eden was to ask me, what is a table? I can just be like, well, this. And, um, you know, and then, you know, certainly we've got, you know, Google on our phone, we could go down a Google images rabbit hole of here are all the different styles of tables. But th it, that feels easier. There's just something, they ask a question, I can point to it, that's what it is. Boom, question answered, best dad ever. But when our kids start asking deeper, more difficult questions, it can be hard to answer, like asking questions about love. What is love? Baby, don't, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Uh, what is love? It's, it's a harder question to answer. It's something we experience every day. It's something we have a lot of thoughts about, but there's a lot to love that is intangible. You can't just point to something physical like a table and just say, well, that's love. It's a little bit deeper than that. And again, you know, it, there's, there's a physical reality that to, to love. You know, there are, there are signs that we can see that somebody loves us that in words and actions and different things like that. But there's just something that's intangible about love. It doesn't mean it's not real. It's just not physical. It's a little harder to explain. And I think that's a lot of what we experience when we're going through the book of Revelation. We're getting physical descriptions or symbolic descriptions of spiritual realities. It's not that these things aren't real. In fact, in some ways, they're more real. <laughs> 
than what we experience in physical life, but it's hard to connect with. There's a deeper level there. And so we do feel rather childlike, I think, when we open up the book of Revelation. And it's like we just asked a harder question. And so that's what I want us to keep in mind today. And specifically, the book of Revelation really is trying, you know, when you ask the question, who is Jesus? We have some good revelation of Jesus in a physical way. We can see, you know, who he was, what he embodied, how he talked, how he interacted with people. But in Revelation, we get a little bit different picture of a deeper spiritual reality that is still a very real part of who Jesus is. Just a little harder to connect with. It takes a little bit deeper thought. It takes a little bit more processing. And so I just want us to be okay with that. And as we dive into, um, the, the passage that we're going to read, Revelation chapter 5 today, just want us to take a, both a childlike posture um, with, you know, just with scripture, but also just to recognize um, this is the, the whole point of this is just to give us a deeper and wider, more full picture of who Jesus is. That's the goal. So let's start Revelation chapter 5, we're going to read verses 1 through 4 as we start here. You can follow along in your Bible or on the screen. It says this, it says, Then I saw the right hand of the one seated on the throne, a scroll with writing on both sides, sealed with seven seals. I also saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or even to look in it. I wept and wept because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or even to look in it. So right away, again, some, some, some imagery here that might be a, a little confusing and primarily it's all centered around this idea of this scroll that God is holding. It's sealed with seven seals. And a good question to ask is, what is this scroll? If I was reading this with Eden, that's probably a question that she would ask. What's a scroll? Um, and so you probably know what a scroll looks like. There's people that have spent a lot of time talking about what does the scroll look like and what could it be? And we're not going to talk about all that today. But primarily, we're just going to talk about what is John getting at? What is he seeing in this spiritual reality about this scroll? And Oftentimes when we feel confused about something in the Bible, the best place to look is the Bible. Another place that gives us some clues or some, uh, you know, some similar imagery. And certainly all throughout Revelation, like we've talked about, John is just like it's full of all of this Old Testament imagery that, that the Holy Spirit is revealing to John. All of the spiritual realities connected to this Old Testament imagery that goes all throughout the Old Testament. So a couple things we see in Ezekiel's chapters, chapters 2 and 3 that he has this experience with, um, with God where he sees the Lord and he's given this scroll and he actually says, eat this scroll. And John has a similar experience later on in Revelation, but he's given this scroll and it says it has words of, you know, judgment and woe. And, you know, it's kind of a, it's kind of a difficult thing. And 
Also, another place that we pretty prominently see kind of this idea of, of a scroll is with Moses, and it's specifically highlighted really clearly in the book of Hebrews. So this is Hebrews chapter 9. It says, For when every command had been proclaimed by Moses to all the people, according to the law, he took the blood of calves and goats, along with water, scarlet wool, and hyssop, and sprinkled the scroll itself and all the people. So basically a ceremonial cleansing uh, based on the Old Testament sacrificial system. And he, uh, so verse 20, it's a saying, so this is Moses saying, this is the blood of the covenant that God has ordained for you. Does that sound familiar? Jesus with the cup, this is the blood, my blood of the new covenant. So Moses with this scroll of God's law, this is the blood of the covenant that God has ordained for you. In the same way, he sprinkled the tabernacle and all the articles of worship with blood. According to the law, almost everything is purified with blood and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. So we get these pictures of the this scroll being really connected to just in general, God's covenant with the human race. And it's ultimately a lot of it connected to this idea of God bringing judgment or bringing justice. Now that tends to be, you know, a pretty negative connotation for us when we think about God's judgment. I think we think of that primarily in a negative sense, but especially for the Hebrews, that was something that they longed for. And when you are experiencing different types of injustice, what do you long for? Justice to come. And so this is, the, this is the longing. And so it's, it's, it's God's covenant, his agreement with humankind and specifically with Moses. That covenant was if when, when you obey my law and live in right relationship with me, I will bless you. Anybody who comes against you, I will bring harsh judgment against them. But if you rebel against me and turn away from my law and stop living rightly with me as your God, then I will bring judgment against you to bring you back to me. So we see this kind of, these ideas of judgment and redemption and God's care for his people and, 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 and keeping his people safe. All of these things are connected in this idea of covenant. And so really this scroll, it, it's talking about God's plan of redemption and salvation, as well as his coming judgment and his renewal of the earth. All of this stuff goes hand in hand. So the judgment for the removal of things that are sinful, removing all of the bad stuff and bringing restoration and redemption to God's people in a new promised land. So we see that playing out. And again, in, in many different stories and specific characters throughout the Old Testament in kind of a little bit bigger way with the nation of Israel and all of these things. But basically this, I, this, this scroll, I think, as far as we might contextualize it for ourselves is this is opening this is God's plan to make everything right. To put everything back in its proper place as it was made to be. And in this moment is John is seeing kind of at this cosmic level what the problem is. He just begins to weep because there's nobody and, and, and you'll see this phrase repeated throughout Revelation. It says, in the heavens, on earth, or under the earth. It's like no spiritual beings are able to do this. No physical earthly beings are able to do this. Not even people who are died. Like 
who are died. People who have died are able to do this. And so he just weeps. And I think this is one of the, for me, as I studied and probably for all of us, when we are reading Revelation, it seems so cosmic. It seems so big. It seems so far off. And this is one of the connecting points for us, I think. This is one of those places where it's like, I get that. Because we weep when we feel the overwhelming need that we have for redemption. And I just want you to think about moments in your life where you've just experienced the overwhelming sense of the brokenness in the world. Maybe it was, you know, likely you've had experiences like that in your own life. Often it's when we experience death at some level, maybe a loved one or just sickness that is scary because it could lead to death, um, disability, uh, or just brokenness in relationships or abuse or just even things that you would see on the news, worldwide stuff, you know, chaotic things, wars, violence, death. It's, there's, there's plenty, an endless list of stuff that, that can just break our hearts on a daily basis. We understand what this is like. Unfortunately, I think we get sometimes desensitized to it. But John, seeing kind of this big picture, cosmic level, everything is messed up and no one can do anything about it. He just weeps. And we all have that experience. Because the problem is not just that there are bad things happening. That's definitely true. But it goes deeper than that. It's that the cause of all this badness actually comes from the very people who long for redemption. That the problem of sin is not just around us, affecting us externally, but it's internal. It's inside of us, coming out of us and impacting the people around us. So the big question is like, how can this plan unfold? How can there be justice for sin and redemption for anyone who longs to have relationship with God? How is God supposed to work out that puzzle of redeeming and saving those who are victims of the consequences of sin, but at the same time are perpetrators of sin, as we all are? We all experience and in one sense are victims of sin. Sin has been done to us and we experience the, the symptoms of sin coming out of people and just in our world in general. But also we are the perpetrators of sin as well. We have hurt other people and we are also to blame. And so how is God supposed to work out this puzzle? And this is where this, I know, the, the, the leg fell off my table and I just thought I could just like roll with it and nobody would notice, but it's not working. Um, so let's continue verses five through 10. This is, so John is in this like, and because it's, it's easy to just read through this because like the next, he weeps and then the next verse, the answer comes. But I wanted us to sit there for a moment because we feel this maybe on a daily basis. For sure, every, you know, so often we go through a season of just feeling overwhelmed by life. 
And maybe it's just because there's a lot of difficulty. Maybe there's just some big issues out there that God's really breaking your heart for some, some things that are just wrong with our world, whatever it is. But I think weeping is an appropriate response and we see that happening with John. But again, it's not the end of the story. Let's read verses five through 10. It says, then one of the elders said to me, don't weep. Look, the lion from the tribe of Judah, the root of David has conquered so that he is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. So we see this conquering one, some big titles, right? Some big titles, the lion from the tribe of Judah, the root of David. So you're thinking lion, you're thinking king, you're thinking conqueror, right? And then what does it say in the next verse? Then I saw one like a slaughtered lamb. I just imagine, again, for some of us, this passage is really familiar, but I just imagine the first people reading this, as it hits for the first time, they're like, hold on. Now, again, for anybody who knows the Old Testament, any, any of these original hearers who are familiar, there's some, there's some bells going off. There's some alarms going off like Old Testament stuff, specifically Passover, but says, I saw one like a slaughtered lamb standing in the midst of the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders. He had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent into all the earth. So again, we've talked about that the last few weeks, um, talking about the lampstands and, um, and, and the spirits of, of God that are kind of over the churches and that kind of stuff. So you can listen to previous weeks if you want more information about that. Um, it says, he went and took the scroll out of the right hand of the one seated on the throne. And when he took the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each one uh, had a harp and, a, and golden bowls filled with incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And just clue, that's going to come up again. So pay So not today, but in the future, pay attention to those bowls of incense, prayers of saints. And it says, and they sang a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and open its seals because you were slaughtered and you purchased people for God by your blood. From every tribe and language and people and nation, you made them a kingdom and priests to our God and they will reign on the earth. So again, it's not who we expect to show up. It's not the image of Jesus that may, we maybe expect the slaughtered lamb. So we see the slaughtered lamb, but at the same time, he, it, it, it's kind of, and again, the, the imagery is a little bit like the, the picture, we, we have to go deeper than just the mental image we get. So the picture is a slaughtered lamb, but has seven horns, seven eyes. So it's this, this image of, of certainly a sacrificial lamb, but with deity, with God's authority. And he's worshipped as one who is worthy to actually take the scroll and redeem people from every nation. And so this is talked about, just this, this aspect of who Jesus is, is like the focus of the entire New Testament. That Jesus is this person. But again, we're, we're giving or we're given a, a, a new, different, more you know, trying to get us to clue in on some of the cosmic spiritual stuff that is a part of Jesus's role in his ministry and who he is. And specifically that Jesus is the only one who can redeem us. And I know that sounds like so basic, 
And, it, and we say it regularly, like Jesus is, like, and it was even one of our memory verses at Camp Awesome, that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. We're just seeing that reality kind of played out in a spiritual way in front of us in the book of Revelation. And Jesus is not just, like, it really it's getting at the, the utter uniqueness of Jesus, And again, just phrases that we say all the time, like Jesus, there is no one like you. You are holy. You're totally different. You know, it's it's important that we think about what that really means from time to time. Because it can easily just become words, but we have to think about the absolute utter uniqueness of Jesus. That he's the only one, literally, in heaven, on earth or under the earth. Nobody but Jesus is able to redeem. Hebrews chapter two talks about Jesus in this way. It says, but we do see Jesus made lower than the angels for a short time so that by God's grace, he might taste death for everyone crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death. Does that sound so familiar to what we just read? So it goes on and, and just spells this out a little bit more. It says, For in bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it was entirely impro- appropriate that God, for whom and through whom all things exist, should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through sufferings. For the one who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one father. That's why Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters saying, I will proclaim your name to my brothers and sisters. I will sing hymns to you in the congregation. Again, I will trust in him. And again, here I am with the children God gave me. So let's continue in in Hebrews chapter two. It says, now since the children have flesh and blood in common, Jesus also shared these so that through his death, he might destroy the one holding the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who were held in slavery all their lives by the fear of death. For it is clear that he does not reach out to help angels, but to help Abraham's offspring or humans. Therefore, he had to be like his brothers and sisters in every way so that he could become a merciful and faithful high priest in matters pertaining to God to make atonement for the sins of the people. For since he himself has suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are tempted. I know that was a lot of scripture, but I think Hebrews just does a great job. Hebrews is essentially like a Jesus commentary on the Old Testament. So if you read through the book of Hebrews, it just shows you thematically throughout the Old Testament how all of these different things throughout the nation of Israel, the sacrificial system, the priestly system, and all these different things, the tabernacle and the temple, all of these things are signs pointing to Jesus. And I think it's part of the reason why Hebrews can be so helpful as we also read through Revelation because Revelation has so, is so chock full of this Old Testament imagery. It's pointing to these realities about Jesus. And so again, what he's saying, what the writer of Hebrews is saying is that Jesus is unique in that he is fully God and fully man. A hundred percent of both somehow mysteriously put into one. It's a, it's a divine mystery. It's, it's much like the, the Trinity. How can there be three persons, but one God. These are the the amazing, mind-blowing, beyond our understanding things about who God is. And Jesus uniquely is the one who 
is able to bridge the gap that was created between God and man when we broke the covenant with God. We broke the agreement that God had made with us. And all throughout the Bible, we just kind of kept doing this. And you see this from the beginning with Adam, who God said, hey, I'll make a covenant with you in that I've created this perfect world. You rule and reign it and let me be God. And you enjoy all the goodness and just let me be God. And Adam said, no, I want to be God. I want to decide what's right and wrong. So Adam broke the covenant. And since then, it's just been bad. Abraham God said, I'll make you the father of many nations. I'll make this covenant with you. And there's actually this really cool covenantal scene with Abraham where God basically is like, I'll fulfill this whole covenant. And Abraham still tries to take it in his own hands. And that doesn't go well. And, and, but God still is faithful to his word with Moses and with Israel giving the law. And they couldn't do it. They failed. And we also always are failing. <laughs> We are only good. The only thing we're good at with covenants is breaking them. That's all we tend to do. And so Jesus steps in and perfectly fulfills every requirement of every promise that God has ever made with humans. As a human, he fulfills all that we were supposed to do so that God can still keep his end of pouring out blessing and grace and ultimately bringing eternal life and redemption to humankind, even though we can't make it happen on our end. <laughs> this is the beauty of who Jesus is. And he is so unique in, in the, being the only one that could possibly do this, being the God man. That's part of the reason why Jesus's favorite title for himself was the son of man. That's how he most often refers to himself that he is the son of man. His humanness, as well as his 100%, like both humanness and godness, let him stand in this gap that allows him to make peace between humans and God and fulfill the fullness of the whole covenant. And we cannot get used to that fact. <laughs> That has to continue to amaze and astound us. And we see that happening over and over in heaven. Like this, this is over and over and over again. People uh, in heaven and on earth and under the earth are amazed by Jesus. So it's because of Jesus and his uniqueness that we are included in his inheritance as children of God. The second thing, again, it sounds so basic, but the thing that we see here as Jesus, the, the slaughtered lamb, is that he saves us by giving his life. And that's what Hebrews highlights, that he took on flesh and suffered for our redemption. And I just think it's incredible that that was God's plan. I feel like if it was me and I was God, I would want to keep my hands as clean as possible. And I would just say, okay, I'll just decree that this and not get my hands dirty and just say, okay, we'll just wipe the slate clean or whatever. But that's not what Jesus does. Because he's a God who also, he, he loves mercy. He also loves justice. And we love that about him because when we experience injustice, we have this internal sense that justice must be done. But when we are the ones who are unjust, we really want that mercy. <laughs> and Jesus perfectly embodies both the mercy and the justice of God on the cross. That for every sin committed, and it's, it's, it's impossible to even try to 
grapple with that cognitively. (laughs) Every sin ever committed. We feel crushed under the weight of our own sins. Just the stuff I've done in my life. Think about the sins of every person throughout all of history. Jesus took on himself and gave his life as a substitute for us to atone for our sins. So he accomplished through giving his life everything that we needed for redemption. And, every, and just as he said on the cross, it is finished. It is finished. His work of redemption is is finished. But at the same time, there's a not yet because full restoration has not happened yet. And so we see this in Revelation as well. He takes the scroll and everybody is worshiping and just there's like this, obviously this sense of like awe and wonder and probably just relief. (laughs) Thank you, Jesus, for doing something about this impossible situation that only you could fix. But there's a not yet, like As we're going to see in Revelation, there's still a lot to unfold. Those seals have to be broken. The scroll has to open and it's hard. It's messy. There's difficult things that happen as the, as those chapters unfold. But we, so we live that in our lives. We live in this now, but not yet. We, we experience the the new life and the the redemption that Jesus gives. We, we receive the Holy Spirit. We begin to experience relationship with our heavenly father in a whole new way. Um, Or I mean, really for the first time through Jesus, we get to experience relationship with our heavenly father. But the, there's still a lot of difficult stuff we have to walk through. It doesn't just make our lives easy. And we'll see that in Revelation. Just because Jesus takes the scroll doesn't mean that it just is all, you know, peaches and cream for the rest of the time. So Romans 8, through 23 kind of contextualizes this dynamic like this. It says, for we know that the whole creation has been groaning together with labor pains until now. Not only that, but we ourselves who have the spirit as the first fruits, we also groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for adoption, the redemption of our bodies. So creation is like, ah! And I, I mean, for those of you who have, who have experienced labor, I mean, I'm not saying that I've experienced labor, but I've been near my wife when she was experiencing labor. And uh, I'm the oldest of six kids. So I was like, I saw my mom be pregnant multiple times. And so, but then seeing my wife go through it, and then obviously I wasn't in the room when my mom was giving birth ever, but thank the Lord. Um, (laughs) But being there with my wife, I was like, this is insane. This, how did my mom do this six times? But I love the analogy that's, that, that Paul uses in Romans because the whole idea of labor pains is it's pain with a purpose. <laughs> There's a reason why women subject themselves to that. Because there is a joy on the other side. And labor lasts for, you know, Maybe an hour if you're super, super lucky to maybe like if you're my mom giving birth to me, like three days or whatever. It's like, but, but in any case, that feels short compared to the lifetime you get to share with that child, hopefully. And I think it's a beautiful analogy for the type of things, the difficulty and the groaning and the things that we go through in this life compared to the joy of eternity with Jesus. And it gives a very strong 
um, connection to the fact that the, what is going on now, the pain that we experience, the difficulty we experience now, it's producing something. It's worth it. It's not just random, purposeless pain, but there's a joy on the other side. And certainly we don't know the reasons why specific things happen the specific way they do. But in a broad stroke, we get this picture throughout scripture that God is sovereign over the events of human history and he is directing them so that the most people would come to know him. And we see in, in, um, as Peter writes his letters, he says, God's not slow, although it seems like he's slow in coming back and finally restoring and renewing everything. We just long for that, but he's not slow as some consider slow. He's just being patient so that the most people would put their faith in Jesus and respond and, and receive that inheritance to become children of God. And so we see that Jesus, he meets us in that pain. <laughs> he redeems us by stepping into it and suffering. And so he is a high priest who can just perfectly sympathize and, and, and minister to us in the middle of this now but not yet experience of life. So let's continue. We're going to wrap up with these last few verses. 11 through 14, it says, Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels around the throne and also the living creatures and the elders, and their number was countless thousands plus thousands of thousands. Basically like, I can't count it, okay? And he said, they, they said with a loud voice, Worthy is the lamb who was slaughtered to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven, on earth and under the earth, on the sea, everything in them say, blessing and honor and glory and power be to the one seated on the throne and to the lamb forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. So we get this amazing picture that just everything in all of creation, again, you get, you get this thing, he says that, you know, in heavens, earth, under the earth, and then he just like stacks some other things in the sea and on the sea. It's just like literally everything. If you thought I was leaving anything out, nothing is left out of this absolute all out worship to Jesus. And that when Jesus is revealed in this way, the only response is to worship. It's the only thing that we can do. It's the only thing that makes sense. And now, what is it, so what does it mean to worship? It's, you know, we, we, we call the singing that we do, we call that worship, and it is. It's, a, it's, it's an expression of worship, and it's, a, and it's a beautiful one. It's one we see all throughout Scripture that we're, we're um, commanded and invited to, to participate in. But worship is, of, of Jesus is so much more than that. And you see in these simple verses that essentially what everybody in all of creation is, is agreeing on together is Jesus deserves every good thing. Any good thing that you could ever think of shouldn't come at me. It shouldn't be for me. It's for him. Everything, like anything, think of anything good that you've ever loved or ever thought was great or ever, it's all should be for him. That's what everything in all of creation is saying. And so what does that look like in our lives? It just means that, wow, it's more than singing. 
It's more than just showing up here on Sunday morning, although that's, that is worship. Like this is worship. Jesus loves seeing his children gather together, just like my parents love it when our whole family gets together and they just experience the joy of family. He loves it when we gather. But it's our whole lives. It's, every, it's everything that we have. And he doesn't, and, and this is the, the amazing thing about Jesus is he could just demand anything from us that he wants. But he says, hey, I just want you to come be a part of my family. And within that leads to this, it, 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 it intrinsically gives us this eternal inheritance with him. Romans ch- chapter 12 probably a familiar verse to many of us, talks about worship in this way. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies or just your whole being as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. And then it kind of contextualizes it a little bit more. What does that look like? It says, don't be conformed to this age but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is good and pleasing and perfect will of God. Basically, so that you're not conformed to doing what the world does, but you actually start to live your life in, like, in, in just random moments throughout your day that you used to just do whatever you felt like doing. All of a sudden you're like, whoa, I wanna do what makes Jesus happy right now. I used to just wanna do what made me happy. And that, that was like right here. I could, I could tell you. <laughs> what makes Daniel happy right now? This. This is what I want to do. But it's like all of a sudden the Holy Spirit is renewing me. And I'm like, oh, I think I actually know what would make God happy right now. And I want to do it. I think it's a beautiful thing. We tend to live um, for ourselves and being conformed to the pattern of this world and the way that Hebrews kind of contextualizes it that we read in Hebrews chapter two, it talks about how Jesus has freed us from fear. It says in Hebrews 2.15, it says, to free those who are held in slavery all their lives by the fear of death. So we tend to live our lives afraid as if like this life is all we get. This has to work out. And so I'm going to fight and claw to make my life as comfortable as possible. That's what the world does. But Jesus invites us into an eternal inheritance with him. When you think about the kind of joy that is waiting, it really changes how we live now. So I'm gonna ask the worship team to come up. And as they do, I just wanna invite us to begin to process, and even as we step into this last song, allow the Lord to bring to mind, God, what in my life can I lay down at your feet as a living sacrifice? It's an all-encompassing thing. And so we can talk about it in general terms. We can say, you know, I want to lay down my whole life at your feet. Sometimes it's more real to get a little more detailed though. Like, God, I'm going to Right now, in this moment, your Holy Spirit's bringing to mind my finances. And I just admit, Lord, I'm afraid. I'm afraid. And I need to see Jesus holding my finances. <laughs> or maybe you're like, God, I'm, 
I feel like as a parent, you're, you're asking me to entrust my kids to you. I've been trying to make this thing work all on my own strength and it makes me an ugly parent because I think it all depends on me. And God, I need to see you holding my kids. Or maybe it's just another specific relationship in your life. Maybe it's a relationship with a, with a parent that's strained or with, with a child that's strained. Maybe it's, maybe it's with a spouse that's strained. Maybe you've got a di- difficulties in your job. Maybe you're walking through a difficult health diagnosis. Maybe you've experienced some deep grief and loss recently. And you're just saying, Jesus, I need to see you holding this thing. And I just want to give it to you again, that, that place in my life. Would you show me, even though my, my job is difficult and the people that I work with bug the crap out of me and I'm so overwhelmed when I walk in the door, would you show me how to live as worship to you? See, these are the questions that we can ask. So as we, as we move into this final song, Let's just be asking the Lord to reveal this to our hearts. Let's pray. Father, we do pray that your Holy Spirit would just be speaking to us. Obviously, we can name lists of stuff, common things that we all face. Um, But for each of us specifically, would you show us, is there a specific area of our lives that you are asking us to release to you, to, to, to change directions in that area of our life, to give it to you as worship? And we want to do that and respond to you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and sing together.